Welcome to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast, brought to you by DSW Ministries. Your host is singer, songwriter, speaker, and domestic violence advocate, Diana Winkler. She is passionate about helping survivors in the church heal from domestic violence and abuse and trauma. This podcast is not a substitute for professional counseling or qualified medical help. Now, here is Diana. How are you guys doing today? Thanks for joining me on my journey. It was really great to hear from some of you on social media interacting with me this week. Uh, let's see, Bridget on Twitter, Brian on YouTube, and Wayne on YouTube saying how much you enjoyed the show and subscribing. Thank you so much. I uh, would like to hear from the rest of you that are listening or watching on YouTube. What do you think of the show? Do you have any feedback, any comments on any of the episodes or my guests? And just to get some feedback from you guys and get to know you better, what you want from this podcast. I'm starting something new today. I'm starting a new series on my life story, my abuse story. Now, the only time that I ever tell my entire story is Wednesday nights in my small group, Mending the Soul. They hear everything, good, bad, ugly. And I have told a Reader's Digest version of my story when I go on other shows. You can hear that um, if you listen to some of my guest appearances, which are on my blog, on my website. They're not all the same. Some some of the shows want a different aspect of my story. Like, for example, they want to hear more about the healing part. Others, they want to hear just about the abuse. Um, Some people want to hear about my music story. And I've even been on a podcast that talked about Uh, being a caregiver, which I am a a caregiver for my husband now. And so that's kind of fun to be on other people's shows. But when Al Deshina was on the show, we talked about, you know, he had done a series on his podcast about his story. That's how I got him on my show. I was very intrigued by his story and could relate to a lot of what he said. And so, hey, this is my podcast, and yes, I did do a Reader's Digest version on episode zero about me, about my life and my background, but I am going to really get into detail about my story, my upbringing, how I got saved, uh, my high school years, my college years, uh, my ministry, getting married, getting divorced going through abuse, Uh, my transition out of abuse, my life right now. I will be talking about my music. So this is going to be great. It is kind of therapeutic, actually, to be able to tell my entire story from start to finish. And it will not all be in one episode. This will probably be uh, maybe, maybe four or five episodes We'll do it in bite-sized chunks, so I don't bam blast you with the whole story. <laughs> so, but I'm excited about this. You'll get to know a little bit more about me, and maybe you can relate to a lot of the things that I say. Maybe not. Either way, I'd like to hear what you have to say about the episodes. I will be sprinkling in some interviews with other people here and there in between. Uh, because I get a lot of requests for, for guests. I have three on the docket right now, as well as me appearing on another podcast again. So they won't all be in succession, but they will be labeled part one, part two, part three, part four, part five, my story. So the other thing that I'm starting, I started last week actually, is Facebook Lives. So these will just be short little, short little times 
that I will answer your questions because the title of it is Abuse Q&A. So I thought I'd give everybody an opportunity. If you had questions about abuse or questions about me or Brian or my music or, you know, behind the scenes, anything that you have questions about, you can come and bring your questions. Of course, you can do that now in a myriad of ways. Facebook Live, you can email me. You can message me on Twitter. Any way you want, you could submit a question and I will answer it on the podcast. Uh, but now I can answer them on Facebook Lives for you. So if you want to join me live, there it will be Sunday afternoons and it will be 3 p.m. Arizona time. Yes, Arizona has its own time zone. Right now we're sharing with California's time zone. The rest of the year, we do not. We're an hour ahead. So if you'd like to join me, I would love to have you. It would typically be 15 minutes or so. I want to keep them short and sweet. Uh, unless a whole bunch of you show up and you have a lot of questions, then we will continue. But I wanted to give everybody an opportunity to interact with me more and provide some more resources. So last week's question was, was from a gal who asked why I didn't leave my abuser when I had the money and the means to do so. I didn't have children. So you can check that out on Facebook. All of my social media accounts is DSW Ministries. So that's Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and YouTube. Uh, we did get some rain this week. We have our monsoon storms. Those are our tropical storms. We get short bouts of rain and thunderstorms. Uh, when it doesn't rain, we get dust devils. So we were very grateful for the rain. My plants were grateful. I was grateful I got a break from uh, having to water everything by hand. There's a little bit of humidity in the air. And that is a, a myth buster for you there. Arizona does get humidity just only during like July and August <laughs> during our monsoon season. So I hope the weather is tolerable for you there. little update on Brian. Those of you who have been asking, I appreciate the prayers for him. He is still struggling, of course, in bed, in a lot of pain. The doctor took a week to submit the paperwork for the disability, short-term disability, and so that really made me angry because he did lose his job. Uh, FMLA ran out, and so unfortunately, that protects your job and he lost his job. Now, he will be eligible for rehire. If he goes into remission, he'll be able to get uh, rehired with his company. He's been with for 12 years as a supervisor. He probably won't be able to come back as a supervisor, but he won't be able to come back as a tech. Thank God we're out of debt. We only have our mortgage and our utilities our food, uh, you know, the Lord will provide. He always says, I was out of work when we first bought our house. Right after we bought the house, I lost my job. I got laid off and we lived off of his income for, well, I think it was six months. And yes, the Lord did provide. And yes, we did have to pinch pennies. Uh, a few of you have asked what you could do to support this ministry. So this is a good opportunity for me. You know that I'm, I'm not big on being pushy uh, with sales or promotions. But since some of you have asked, here's some ways that you can support the ministry. Of course, you can pray for us. Uh, I do have products on my website that you can purchase. I have a mentorship program. I have my music for sale. I have voice lessons that I teach. Uh, one of my guests had asked me if I had a donation button on my website because 
he didn't really want to purchase the products there on my website. And I didn't have a donation button at the time, but he encouraged me to put one on there. <laughs> this was started to help people. Uh, but I would at least like to, to break even and meet the expenses of the podcast and uh, to keep the website up and running. So I did create some donations on my store, different varying amounts. If you feel led to support this ministry, there's buy me a coffee, that's five bucks. Here's something really practical is I have an option on there to hey, buy the books for a survivor that's going through many in the soul. That money will go directly to that survivor that cannot afford the books. I don't want to turn them away because they can't afford books. So that's one way. And then there's other ways you can support. You can sponsor a day of this ministry or you can support a month to keep this ministry afloat. And those expenses go into paying for my website and all the tools that I need to produce the podcast. And I do everything myself. Brian is half of my workforce. Okay, He does the graphic design for the podcast and the website. And he does the photography. He does the voiceovers. He does the IT whenever anything goes wrong. <laughs> uh, we do the music together. We do the music recording together. Uh, you, you guys know that I'm in the middle of recording an album which we're just doing bits and pieces as he is feeling well enough to do so. I would like him to help me edit the podcast. I do all the editing myself. I do all the social media promotion myself. Be able to hire people to help me with the ministry. Um, you know, I'm also I'm doing Manning the Soul, which is free of charge and that is a lot of preparation. It takes a lot of time. So, yeah, pray for me as I'm trying to do everything without my partner, Brian, helping me with all these tasks. Not um, trying to make anybody feel sorry for me because I know many of you listening, you all have your cross to bear. You all have kids. Um, obviously, out of the kids stage, kids are grown and out of the house. and You have your health conditions. Yeah, that's another thing. I I have my own health conditions that are pretty bad. Not as acute as Barnes are right now, but mine are chronic. And um, trying to deal with the fatigue and not being able to sleep. Brian doesn't sleep much. And so anyway, I, I know that you guys have your, your trials and your tribulations that you're going through now. You're raising kids or maybe you have a special needs child or an elderly parent that you're taking care of or you're a single mom you're um, a single dad or there's lots of different scenarios and challenges that we're all going through with life you know I'm, I'm honored to pray for you as well if you want me to pray for you please email me contact me in one form or fashion and I do my bible reading at breakfast and I have a list in front of me of people that have asked for a prayer. And I've had some uh, Zoom meetups with some of you. Um, Karen M. Um, she met up with me on Zoom just to just event. We sat and talked for a couple of times now just to be a support to her. And she really was a blessing to me. So I'm here for you. So don't hesitate to to reach out. I've, I've gotten a lot of new subscribers this week from Will Hess being on my show. Wasn't he awesome? Um, I'm going to be on his show eventually, coming down the road here. But he, he and I have the same um, target audience. So welcome to my podcast, all those from Will Hess's and Church Splits group. So yeah, that was a, a longer intro than I planned on, but I have some notes here for my story because if I don't have my notes, then 
I will be rambling on rabbit trails. You know this. <laughs> You've ever tried to tell the story of your upbringing or trying remembering stuff from your past, then you know this. So I'm, I'm going to be real and authentic with you and tell you what really happened, what my feelings were at the time. I am going to try and protect people's privacy, including my family's privacy. I do not have permission to tell their stories and their perspectives. So that part I have to leave out. I can tell you the perspective from where I come from. So I'm going to start with how I grew up. I grew up in a middle-class East Coast neighborhood. I am the oldest of four siblings. Two of them are step-siblings that came along later after my parents divorced, but I was raised Catholic. I went to Catholic school up until the fourth grade. So the kind of neighborhood that I grew up in, at least on the East Coast, was, you know, a colonial-style home. You had a huge backyard with a swimming pool, and I had fond memories. My mother loves Christmas. She always made a big deal about Christmas. You know, even though we, we couldn't afford a whole lot, but back in the day, my mom put all of our Christmas gifts on Kmart layaway, and so she always loved Christmas trees and so we had a real tree. There were room decorations that she saved. She had a nativity scene that she has given me. I have the, that nativity scene now in my own home. The neighborhood back in those days you could run around the neighborhood and you know up and down the street or even on the next street over and not worry about somebody grabbing you or being hurt. All the neighbors looked out for each other. Not really that common now for that to happen. We had lots of neighborhood friends. We'd all play in the front lawns. And I remember a lot of different kinds of children in our neighborhood. My sister's best friend was, was Jewish and we, we were raised Catholic and exposed to different kinds of kids growing up that was fascinating that my sister's friend did not believe in Jesus. She didn't celebrate Christmas. She celebrated Hanukkah. I think they're still friends to this day and still keep in touch. So we have, you know, the ice cream man come by and down at the bottom of the hill, because we lived like on an incline, we had a crick. Some of you may call it a creek. We call it a crick. And you could go down, it's just a little babbling brook pretty much, and you could fish, you could you could catch crayfish, frogs, whatever, and we would go down there and play. And um, there were woods on the right side of our neighborhood. And my parents would tell us to make sure you wear a hat and long pants and sleeves because you would get ticks if you didn't. And even when we came home, we always had to be searched for ticks and they did find a couple here and there. And the wonderful memory of burning ticks off of your scalp with a match, yay. We had a lady at the bottom of the hill, I think it was on the left side, she was um, an elderly lady, and they, they called her Mrs. Babe. And they called her Mrs. Babe because she took care of a lot of children in the neighborhood. I guess she she was a babysitter. And we all hung out at her house, and she'd give us snacks, and she'd let us watch TV in, the I guess, the, the basement area. So we all hung out at her place, and I think she had a swing set. I had a swing set, and we had an above-ground pool. And a huge yard in our yard, but we all hung out at Mrs. Babe's house. And I remember watching General Hospital. <laughs> I mean, I was like five or six, maybe. We were watching General Hospital. If if you've been if you watch soap operas, that was that was when 
court Charles froze over. There was this evil guy that froze everything. But that was when Luke and Laura got married. That was a big deal. Yes, we were probably too young to be watching soap operas, but uh, for some reason we were watching it. Now across the street from Mrs. Babe was a um, African-American uh, kids. And to this day, I remember their names, uh, D'Amika and Kwanda. And um, they were really nice kids. We, uh, we had a blast. Uh, I got hand-me-down bikes from my cousins, and I remember training wheels, dad teaching us how to ride a bicycle, um, and being on top of a, a hill really helps to learn how to ride a bicycle and get off those training wheels, and yes, I did fall more than once. I remember swimming, swimming in our pool, we had a weeping willow. Our next door neighbor babysat us. She was very nice. And the, the guy next to us, I think they were in college. There was a couple college age kids that lived to the other side of us and they were really into environmentalism. And I used to climb their trees. They had these beautiful trees. <laughs> I used to climb their trees. I used to pull the leaves off the trees and he would come out and see us climbing on the trees and he'd say, you should. Pull the leaves off the trees. Don't you hear the tree saying, ouch? Don't carve into the tree. But can't you hear the tree saying, ouch? So I guess it had an, an impression on me because I, I stopped doing stuff to this tree. But to go to school, we walked up to the top of the street where the bus, the bus came to pick us up. And winters are very cold. Of course, we're all bundled up in the snow, and we would sit on somebody's porch. We didn't know whose porch it was, but I guess they didn't mind us standing on their porch because they had some sort of a machine that emitted heat, and uh, we kept warm waiting for the bus there, and the bus would come and pick us up. There was like one heater behind one seat, and everybody scrambled to get on the bus where near where the heater was and we would go to school so i remembered i loved to read from an early age like first grade i still am a prolific reader love to read i don't have as much time to do any leisure reading lately but i also loved music i loved to sing from kindergarten my aunt used to give me silver dollars when we would do concerts in school. And apparently I had a set of lungs even then where I would sing louder than the rest of the kids in the class. And I would ask my aunt, <laughs> uh, Auntie, did, did you hear me singing? And she said, oh yeah, I definitely heard you singing. And she would give me my silver dollar and I remember getting a guitar for Christmas, an acoustic guitar, and I loved to play it. I didn't really learn any songs. I just fiddled with it, and I started taking guitar lessons. I remember my parents pulled me out of guitar lessons because of grades. I did not take up guitar again until, oh, probably five years ago, I bought an acoustic guitar. <laughs> I can't seem to get past the finger bleeding stages, so, but I'll get into my music a lot more later. <laughs> the Catholic school, I had, I had regular lay teachers and I had nuns. Pretty good teachers that I remembered. I didn't remember having any problems with my teachers. I think the only time that I got in trouble was, you know, back in the day when you're, you got a bad grade on some assignment or you had your report cards, which were paper. Your parents had to sign your report card and bring it back. Yeah. And like, if you got a bad grade on like a, a, a reading assignment or a writing assignment, they had to sign the paper. And I forged my parents' signature. <laughs> I can imagine. Okay, I'm in, I think it was second grade, my second grade teacher. 
I didn't want my parents to know that I got it. I think it was a, a D or an F on my writing assignment. And uh, I forged my, my, I think it was my mother's name. And how ridiculous that sounds. <laughs> that it, a second grader would be able to forge. And, and, and the teacher, I remember she looked at me and she said, is that your mother's signature? And I said, oh, yeah, it is. And she knew I was lying, lying like a rug. And she looked straight at me and her eyes boring into mine and saying again, did you, did you forge your mother's signature? And I didn't answer. And, and she said, I'm calling your mother and you need to return this to me signed by your mother or your father. Of course, my mom wasn't very happy about getting that phone call and they asked me, you know, why you didn't do the assignment correctly or whatever it was. I can't even remember what the assignment was. And she very astutely signed the paper and I took it back to my teacher. Well, I never did that again. I did remember having a good foundation for faith and for God. I knew that God loved me. He died on the cross for me, for my sins. We had this catechism, children's catechism, and I still remember it today. I can still see the pictures with Jesus on the cross. And I felt bad for Jesus that he died for my sins. I really made an effort to be good and to be holy. I guess um, as good as a second or third grader can be. But I never really knew for sure that I was going to heaven. That was only for the nuns or the priests to have assurance of. My parents taught us right from wrong. And we had discipline in the home. But there was love in the home too. I can count on one hand how many times that me and my sister were spanked. Because we we were old enough to know what right and wrong was. But I can count on one hand how many times me or my sister was spanked. And it was for serious stuff. Dad hated lying. That was one thing that he didn't tolerate was lying. One time we stole money from neighbors. We were in the, in the um, brownies troop. That's the states before Girl Scouts. And we we put on our our brownies uniforms. We had this little scheme that we were going to go door to door and ask for donations for Girl Scout camp. And the reason why we asked for money was because we wanted money for the ice cream man. Parents wouldn't give us money for the ice cream man. And... <laughs> We really liked ice cream. <laughs> so, um, and so, yeah, we went door to door and people gave us money. They gave us a handful of change and our neighbors trusted us. So they gave us some dollar bills and some pennies. And uh, we had enough change to buy some, definitely some ice cream. Can't tell you how much it was, but maybe three or four dollars and change. And back in the day, they had milk boxes outside. A milk box was when you had milk deliveries. That's all they delivered was milk and maybe diaper service. And I don't think we ever, I don't remember ever getting milk from a delivery service, but we had the box outside. It's just a metal box and we would hide the money that we collected from our neighbors and we stuck it in the milk box. <laughs> and somehow my dad found it. <laughs> like I said, I don't remember ever getting any milk deliveries. Maybe I'm wrong, but my dad asked, where did you get this money? And you know, my dad hates lying. And so we said that we found it in the street. You know how you can walk up and down the street and maybe in the side of the street you will find um, pennies or pennies or dimes in the street 
And we said we found it in the street, but there was way too much change to be found in the street or even in the seat cushions in the sofa. Uh, so our gig was up. Um, so my, my dad put us in our room. Um, my sister and I had separate rooms across the hall from each other. And he grilled us individually. Where did you get that money? And my sister is a, from my perspective, she was a rule follower and she did everything she was told. And I kind of pushed the envelope just a bit, but my parents grilled us individually. And my, my sister told my dad what we did. So I said, that's stealing. And we got the strap for that. Now, looking back, I don't see that as child abuse. Maybe you have a different perspective. It did make us cry when we got hit. It, it wasn't fun. It wasn't, it was painful, but I do not see it as child abuse. I think corporal punishment, if it's used correctly in the right framework, is effective. It was effective for us, anyway. I'm aware that a lot of children who have been abused, physically beaten by their parents, the corporal punishment was, was done in abusive fashion. I'm not in, in any way trying to argue that point. I'm saying that my parents were not abusive towards us within the right framework of love, and we did something really wrong, and it had to be corrected. We lied about it on top of that. Maybe we wouldn't have gotten spanked if we came came out and told the truth, or maybe we came out and said, hey, can we have money for ice cream? Or maybe if we went and, you know, mowed lawns. Well, no, I couldn't have mowed lawns. We weren't old enough. Couldn't babysit either, but pull weeds or rake, rake lawns. Could have done something to earn the money, but we didn't. We stole it. Uh, so on top of getting spanked, which wasn't pleasant, and he, you know, my dad would come in and tell us how much he loved us and that what we did was wrong and you had to be punished for it. It was a very, very vivid memory. Um, on top of that, we had to return the money. And I'm surprised he didn't go with us because <laughs> I would have been smarter. Um, but we were too humiliated and, and embarrassed, realizing how stupid it was to go and steal from our neighbors we did take the money back but we put it in their mailboxes we went all up the street and put the money in the mailbox we were too embarrassed so but we never did that again so the punishment was very effective uh the other things that we did that were <laughs> really bad um we, i mentioned that we lived near woods near our house and a couple of our friends we we had the bonehead idea to go and do a campfire in the woods and we didn't have any adults around to supervise us again we neighborhood kids we would just play and do stuff without our parents um, wondering where we were or worrying about us so yeah we did some stupid stuff so we started a a fire in uh, made a campfire and uh, one of the neighbors came over and saw the smoke and the fire and flipped out and put the fire out and it wasn't out of control or anything but he said you know you could have burned the whole the whole forest down you can't have a, an unsupervised campfire here without supervision so of course he called all of our parents and yeah back in the day you called the neighbors. In fact, there were neighbors that would give you permission to spank their kids if you were taking care of them. So my parents got the um, the notification that we were out there doing campfires and roasting marshmallows in the woods, and we got spanked for that. We also sort of did some breaking and entering. Uh, there was a house on, at the end of the street, the top of the hill that 
it was like a um a house that was empty that was for sale and somehow we figure out the back door the sliding glass door was unlocked and i assume it was unlocked because the, the realtor would show the house and we would go in there and we wouldn't destroy anything we were just in there doing cartwheels in the living room you know that's irresistible to um you know, a, a living room with no furniture in it. And, oh, yeah, let's do cartwheels in the living room. And and we weren't doing anything destructive at all. We just sat there and talk. And, of course, we got caught. Somebody somehow knew we were in there, saw us going in there. And, and we got spanked for that. So, um, quote, unquote, breaking and entering. And we kept saying, well, the door was unlocked. And they're like, you didn't have permission to go in there. And you should not have been in somebody's house. Uh, so, yeah, we never repeated any of those things. <laughs> we just kept making up new stuff to do. I got in trouble because I was being bullied um, at the bus stop once. And this was right when Superman, the movie, came out. Christopher Reeve. That made a profound impression on me because I was being bullied at the bus stop. Kids were picking on me. Um, I would wish that Superman would come and, you know, intervene in my bullying. Of course, that wasn't going to happen, which I found out later in life. Uh, but I had the harebrained idea to take a knife from the kitchen and put it in my backpack and take it to school. Now, I did not take the knife out of the backpack, but I told the kids that were bullying me that if they are going to harm me, then I would hurt them with my knife. Now, of course, I was just defending myself, albeit really badly, but the kids at the bus stop told the teachers at school that I had a knife in my backpack. And now it was just like, they call it a grapefruit knife. Um, and it was probably maybe an inch, an inch and a half long and it had serrated edges. It was really thin. And uh, so the teachers, of course, called my parents and I didn't get expelled. I was really... Looking back, I'm surprised that I didn't get expelled at uh, carrying a knife at school. But my parents sent me down and asked me, why on earth would you take a knife to school? And I told them that I was being, being bullied at the bus stop. So I think that from that, at that point on, we stopped um, taking the bus. And uh, my parents would drive us to school which wasn't, wasn't really far. It was maybe 15 minutes to school. We'd just drop us off at school and pick us up after school. I was a little bit of a, a rebel, but I don't remember getting spanked for the knife, but I did get spanked for, again, lying. Um, I had this pattern of not wanting to finish my homework. My dad would ask me if I did my homework and I would, you know, lie and say that I did. If you're a parent, you, you know that you trust but verify. <laughs> and they knew me better than I thought they did. And my dad would ask me again, did you do your homework? Oh yeah, I did my homework. And he'd ask me, go up and get it because he wants to check it. And I think it was cursive writing and addition and subtraction. And I panicked because I was going up the stairs. <laughs> I had to go get my homework and I knew it wasn't done. And it was really funny because we, we had a two-story colonial house. And you go up the stairs and you turn right down the hallway and there's this picture of Jesus. You probably have seen it. It's the one side the side view of Jesus looking up. I forget the artist's name, but everybody knows this picture of Jesus. And that's at the end of the hallway, right between me and my sister's bedroom. And oh, the guilt of, okay, there's Jesus. And I'm lying to my parents about 
my homework again. And so I'm, I go into my room and I hurry up and I'm scribbling down anything on the cursive and I'm like putting any old answer on my math. <laughs> you know, just putting any old answer on the math and hopefully I will fool them into thinking I did my math by putting any old answer. But I didn't realize that, you know, basic math wasn't very hard to um, check <laughs> as an adult. I brought down my homework and my dad looked at my math and he's like, you put any old answer on this on this math, didn't you? And he's erasing them because he, you know, 12 and 12 is not 55, whatever. Uh, he's erasing it and putting the correct answer. And he's like, I'm not doing the rest of this. You can't just put in the, any old answer. You have to do it correctly. And he looked at my cursive. And he's, I think it was the quick brown fox jumped over the lazy dog or something for cursive back in the day when we learned cursive and uh <laughs> i put I remember, yeah the memory i can't believe how vivid the memory was the whale was so big that it filled up the ocean and i i couldn't even dip my big toe into the water and i just you know i just scribbled that on there and my dad's like this isn't right this is not cursive and so we went up the stairs, past Jesus, and, and told to do the homework assignment correctly, and then bring it down. And apparently I didn't learn the lesson because I had a, a pattern of that through my grade school years. <laughs> Couldn't get away with it in high school, but uh, grade school, um, it wasn't the first time that I pulled that stunt. But. So dad would take us to church every Sunday and make sure that we had communion and went to confession on Saturdays. Mom didn't go. I remember that the church we went to was very beautiful. Um, I did receive what they call First Holy Communion. It's one of the sacraments. It was a big deal when I was a kid for a Catholic to go through Holy Communion. And for Catholics, it means that the body of Christ is put into the wafer that you receive. They believe that Jesus comes down from heaven and goes into the wafer and has turned into the actual body of Christ and that the wine is turned into the actual blood of Christ. Of course, evangelical Christians, they believe that communion is a symbolic gesture. It's a time of remembrance what Jesus has done for us. Jesus died on the cross for us and we have that inward examination of our life, whether we are living a Christian life honoring to God before we take of the elements. But First Holy Communion in the Catholic Church is is a big event and you wear a white dress and a veil actually. And you know it's it's a formal event where you invite your family and your friends. It's like baptism if you've ever attended a infant baptism. It's um it's a major event. I took very seriously my faith as what I knew about God. And at that time, at the age that I was, I took it very seriously. Um, again, I wanted to be a good Christian, a good follower of Christ. My belief was sincere. There's also an event before First Holy Communion is called Confession. And that is confessing your sins to a priest. And that is a, a big deal, your first confession. You don't really get to dress up, but they have you do that before you do the first Holy Communion. And that's terrifying. <laughs> it was terrifying for me to tell my sins to a priest. So they prepared us for it, our teachers in Catholic school. They 
prepared us to. You know, you had to memorize the Our Father, and you had to memorize the, the Hail Mary, the Glory be to the Father, and an act of contrition. I think you had to memorize the Apostles' Creed. Well, we do that in the Mass. Anyway, a lot of faiths have a, a Nicene Creed or Apostles' Creed is a confession of what you believe your doctrinal position. Most Christian sects, I believe, hold to those basic tenets of the faith. Uh, the virgin birth, that Jesus was God, born of a virgin Mary, um, that Jesus will come again, um, that we are sinners needing of a savior, those basic kind of things. Anyway, back to confessing to a priest. So after we memorized all that stuff, then it was time to do the ceremony. And so you go into a box called the confessional. Many of you probably already know this, but for those that don't know this, the priest is on one side of the box and there's a divider in the middle and then the parishioners on the other side of the box. And it's supposed to be anonymous, but I don't see how it can be anonymous when uh, there is a screen in between. So you can kind of see who's in the, who's the confessor anyway. And as a child, it's terrifying to have to come up with a list of sins to go to confess to a man. And you don't really know what this priest is going to say to you. <laughs> That's the hardest part is you think, oh, he's going to be mad. You know, I did all these things. Oh, but I took it seriously. I knew I was a sinner. That wasn't an issue for me. I knew I was a sinner. But so it was my turn to go in there. And you kneel down in front of the screen. And the priest is on the other side. And he's sitting sideways. And he's not supposed to be looking directly at you. But... And you say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It is, this is my first confession, and these are my sins. And in subsequent confessions, which you're supposed to do every week, you say, it's been how long since your last confession? And then you tell them your sins. So, And I had, you know, a little list that I had memorized, and I said that list as fast as I could, and I was, okay, waiting for... <laughs> I'm waiting for him to say what he was going to do as a result of me confessing, confessing these sins. And he had this big, real big smile on his face. And I guess he knows that we're terrified. And the priest, I don't even remember his name, but the priest was very nice. And he had a big smile on his face. And he's, God has heard your confession. And he forgives you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they now give out what is called your penance. So you have to do these things that the priest tells you to do in order to get forgiveness of your sins. Now, the Catholics believe that the priest is the mediator between God and man. So as a Catholic, you had better do what the priest gives you as penance because you wanted your sins to be forgiven. And so I don't remember even what the penance was, but it's usually okay. You need to say 10 Our Fathers and three Hail Marys. And usually if there's any kind of repercussions from what you did, like if you can make amends to what you have done, then usually the priest will tell you, go make amends to take care of this sin that you have committed. I don't remember him telling me to make any amends at the time, but anyway, he gave me this list of things to do, which pretty standard, and then go in peace to love and serve the Lord, and then I'm supposed to say, thanks be to God, and thank you, Father, and then he would close the door to the screen, and then I would leave, I don't know if that was everybody else's experience, but it was kind of like, oh, well, I got that over and done with. And so while we were in Catholic school, of course, they had an opportunity to do confession every week when you were in Catholic school. And I think that's what I did. And each time it was pretty terrifying. 
Uh, but I never had any priests that, you know, well, you shouldn't have done that. And you were, they were usually pretty nice, uh, especially the children. I had a pretty, pretty decent experience with the Catholic Church. Now, that's pretty much all I'm, I'm going to say about my experience growing up. Um, this is up to the fourth, half of the fourth grade. I hope that it was enjoyable and not boring for you up to this point. Uh, believe me, it is going to get a little more uh, crazy. I think that was probably the least crazy part of my life was up to the fourth grade, believe it or not. Part two, I'm going to talk about when we moved to the west part of the country. And I'm going to talk about going to a public school and what a culture shock that was. I will talk about the pedophile that was at our school, actually more than one pedophile that was at my school. I will also talk to you about my salvation story, how I came to know Christ in a more personal way and actually have assurance of my salvation. So that will be part two of my story. So thanks so much for listening, and until next time, just be reminded that you are no longer a victim. You are victorious. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast. If this episode has been helpful to you, please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. You can connect with us at dswministries.org, where you'll find our blog along with our Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel links. Hope to see you next week.